Welcome to the Gut Podcast and the paper Endoscopic Pyloromyotomy for the Treatment of Severe and Refractory Gastroparesis, a pilot randomized sham control trial, published in paper copy in Gut in November 2022. My name is Dr. Philip Smith, Digital and Education Editor of Gut, and an honorary consultant gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, Liverpool, United Kingdom. And I extend a very warm welcome to Professor Jan Martinek from the Department of Hepatogastroenterology, Institute of Clinical and Experimental Medicine, Prague, Czech Republic. Professor Martinek is the first author on this superb paper. Professor, thank you so much for joining me today to do this podcast and congratulations on your excellent paper. Firstly, could I ask you to explain the background to your study and why research in this area is so important? Thank you for your questions. Thank you very much. So gastroparesis is a disease which is defined by the presence of upper abdominal symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, abdominal fullness, and delayed gastric emptying in the absence of organic obstruction. And uh, most frequently, we see this disease as a consequence of esophageal or gastric surgery, so-called post-surgical gastroparesis. Very often in patients suffering from diabetes, uh, especially type 1 diabetes, approximately 5% of patients having type 1 diabetes uh, suffer from gastroparesis, and approximately 1% of diabetics type 2 uh, have gastroparesis. And about one third of patients, we don't know the underlying cause, and we call this disease uh, idiopathic gastroparesis. And important is that this treatment is difficult to treat because there are many treatments we can use to alleviate symptoms, but no treatment gained the holy grail. There is no a treatment which helps everyone and which is f- fully effective. And moreover, gastroparesis is a disease with poor prognosis. Several studies have shown that patients suffering from gastroparesis, especially severe gastroparesis, have increased mortality compared to uh, the population without gastroparesis. The overall prevalence of gastroparesis is 0.16%. It means that it's rather a rare disease, but really it can be severe disease. Some patients really cannot eat. They need nutritional support or some probes, sons, packs, and so on. It's believed that uh, the gastroparesis is caused by gastric hypomotility, or it has been believed that the gastric hypomotility is the main factor responsible for gastroparesis. But there has also been studies showing or suggesting that the pylorospasm, it means inappropriately spastic pyloric muscle, may play a role in all or subset of patients suffering from gastroparesis. And this was the background of our study that we wanted to test the hypothesis that the gastric, uh, that endoscopic pyloromyotomy, it means that we, uh, I will explain it later, that endoscopic pyloromyotomy, it means the cut of the pyloric muscle will improve symptoms 
in patients with gastroparesis. Thank you very much for, for your answer. Uh, and I completely agree this is a very difficult condition to treat. So could you now explain what are the new findings your study has found? Yes. We performed a randomized and sham control trial comparing endoscopic pyloromyotomy, and we call this procedure also G-POEM, gastric POEM. POEM is a procedure which is suitable for patients suffering from other disease, uh, esophageal echelasia. In this disease, lower esophageal sphincter is very spastic, and the treatment of this disease is targeted to relax or to elevate this spasm. And one of these procedures, how to do it, is to perform endoscopic pyloromyotomy. This was a new procedure in 2012. We performed first poem in Prague, and today we have performed more than 500 these procedures. And poem is considered worldwide as a standard procedure for treatment of esophageal echelasia. The beauty of this procedure is that we do the whole procedure endoscopically. And what was done in the past by laparoscopic surgery, the myotomy, we can do now fully endoscopically. We create a submucosal tunnel in the esophagus, and then we cut the muscle. It means that with a scope, we are located almost in the mediastinum, which, is, which was the really breakthrough. We don't use the endoscope in the lumen, but outside the lumen of digestive tract. And then we close the mucosal incision, which is the only scar after this procedure. And later, Mu and Kasha from the United States performed the first GPOM. It means the same thing, endoscopic pyloromyotomy of the pylorus in a patient suffering from gastroparesis. And in this patient, it had a really very good effect. But gastroparesis, as I told you, is a very difficult disease. And these patients have several psychological and psychiatric cofactors which contribute to symptoms and disease. And we really haven't had any data uh, confirming that the GPOM pyloromyotomy is effective in these patients. We also do not have data that other pylorus-targeted therapy, such as balloon dilation or injection of botulinum toxin into the pylorus really works. And that's why the sham-controlled study, in other words, placebo-controlled study, was very important. We randomized a total of 41 patients with severe and a refractory gastroparesis into two groups, 21 received GPOM and 20 received sham procedure. And moreover, we followed these patients six months. And after six months, the patients from six sham group were offered so-called crossover GPOM. And the main outcome was the treatment success, which was defined as a 50% improvement of validated symptomatic index. So it is a quite robust endpoint. The treatment success was 71% in patients who had GPOM compared 22% of patients who underwent sham procedure. Uh, 
the result was uh, highly statistically significant. And moreover, crossover GPOM resulted in a treatment success in 75% of patients. And so it is the first study clearly showing that GPOM brings a benefit to 70% of patients who get this procedure. And we can therefore hypothesize that GPOM could supplement or could be add to other treatment possibilities which are offered to patients suffering from this debilitating disease. Thank you, Professor, for that very detailed answer and uh, spectacular results um, that you've uh, described. So how might your study impact on clinical practice in the foreseeable future? How this study or how these results can impact clinical practice, I think in a major way, GPOM has been considered as experimental procedure or a procedure under investigation. And we believe that our results justify the use of GPOM as a standard therapy. But because our study was rather small, we have an entitled pilot, we must admit and we must underline that our study is not a definitive one and there is really a need to confirm these findings. As I told you at the beginning, there are three etiologies of gastroparesis, three main etiologies, diabetic, post-surgical, and idiopathic. In our study, the most patients had diabetic gastroparesis, and in diabetic subgroups, really GPOM worked very well. The treatment success in diabetics was 90% versus 17 in a sham group. So we think that we really showed that in patients suffering from diabetic gastroparesis, the effect of GPOM is clearly shown. However, in patients with post-surgical and idiopathic gastroparesis, the results were numerically somewhat lower. It was not evident, and uh, and we cannot say from our study that in these two etiologies or in these two subgroups of patients, GPOM is really beneficial, and there is a need for further studies. So I think GPOM should not be longer considered an experimental procedure and may be offered not as a first-line treatment. This is important to underline. We should always start with diet and drugs such as prokinetics, antiemetics, and we should also add some psychotherapy and so on. But we can add uh, GPOM to our armamentarium to treat this disease, especially in patients with diabetic gastroparesis. Thank you, Professor. I think you give a very um, convincing and um, strong argument for that. So how might your study impact on research priorities in the foreseeable future? Gastroparesis is an interesting disease, and there is maybe more things which are unknown than things which are known. And I think, and in my previous answer, I already touched some points which can really or which should be studied in the future. Uh, From the basic research perspective, we need to better understand the pathophysiology of gastroparesis. And we need to know how important the impact of 
pyloric pathology, spasm or relaxation or dysregulation of pyloric muscle, how important is this mechanism in patients suffering from gastroparesis? So this is the first point that we need to study the basic mechanisms which are responsible for gastroparesis. Second, we need to know whether gastroparesis, depending on etiology, whether the pathophysiology is the same or whether there are differences among different etiologies from pathophysiological point of view. Third, from clinical perspective, we need, and this is really the key, we need first confirmation of our results in a bigger study, but gastroparesis is rare. It's not easy to perform a big, especially sham controlled study. So maybe there is a need to perform a prospective non-controlled study in a larger group of patients suffering from either diabetic or second study with idiopathic or post-surgical gastroparesis. We shouldn't maybe in a future studies mix together all etiologies together as we did. And uh, finally, uh, we also need to know the long-term results of uh, GPOM because our follow-up was only six months and we need to know whether the treatment access is a long-standing, whether it will uh, persist for years or whether there will be recurrences and how important these recurrences will be. So these are some of questions which are important for future research. But one thing is maybe the most important that we need uh, more info how to select patients for GPOM or for pyloromyotomy. We know that 70% had a treatment success, not cure, only treatment success, improvement. This is important. These patients still have a gastroparesis and they still need treatment. But 30%, they didn't have any effect of GPOM. That means that these patients, they didn't have pyloraspasm probably. And we need a method to measure the pyloric function. There is one on the market called endoflip, but this method is still at the beginning of being used in a clinical practice. So it's a not validated and standardized method. And that's why we need a tool how to select patients, how to diagnose pyloraspasm, and therefore how to select patients for GPM. This is really a key uh, for the future research. Well, thank you, Professor. It's a really interesting and exciting area, clearly, and um, some more work to be done. Thank you again, Professor Martinek, for, for doing this podcast today. Once again, congratulations to you and your co-authors on the fantastic paper being published in GUT. To our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed that podcast um, today. If you want to read the paper, please click on the link underneath this podcast. And of course, please join us again in the future for future episodes of the GUT podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Mm -hmm.